Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome to a new week, Solar Warrior. Here we go. This is Two for Tuesday. Whether that's a tactical Tuesday or just content from one of our many live events like SPI Podcast Lounge, this is going to be a short form conversation typically with subject matter experts designed to give you the practical tools, tips, and advice for building your solar business or career and grow with us here on Suncast as I know you will. I'm so glad that you've decided to join us again and level up your game. In this particular case, what you are about to hear is content from our career summit. Our career summit was a fantastic series of conversations all about not only how to find your dream job, the perfect opportunity to transition into clean energy as a career, but also how as an industry we can improve the concepts of hiring with justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. We had some amazing conversations around that and you're about to hear one of those right now. You can always find all of the resources and learn more about this episode over on the blog at mysuncast.com. For now, get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune in to another powerful conversation here on Suncast. Welcome, everyone, to our third session of today. Uh, We are here, Suncast Career Summit, for breaking the glass ceiling strategies for asking for the salary you deserve and getting it. Um, Again, I am Glenda Johnson. I don't believe I've introduced myself to you all yet, but I am the marketing manager at Suncast Media, and I'm happy to join an esteemed panel of guests um, today at uh, for our session. Um, I definitely want to make sure that we recognize our sponsors for today. Um, we want to thank you, Light Source BP, Solaris Soul Systems, and a number a number of our other sponsors and partners who help make this summit possible across these three days of really great content and workshops. Uh, We also have a few sessions today and a few sessions workshops tomorrow, but we wanted to make sure that you have access to all of these sessions. So if you are watching us on the live stream, you could access us at suncastcareersummit.com. If you're watching us live on LinkedIn or on Twitter, again, you could reach us at suncastcareersummit.com. We have three passes. The free pass will give you access to these sessions. But if you add the all access or the evergreen pass, you'll have access to the workshops and networking event. Um, we had some great networking earlier this afternoon and last night on our AirMeet platform. Um, so 
please definitely take a chance and, and also, uh, you know, upgrade those passes. Um, you will also have access to our circle community. It is a unique, unique community of all our speakers and all the those who are involved with the session um, for you to connect um, with the community. Um, those that link will be provided to you um, on uh, our, um, our on the pass and on the website, and as soon as you register. So for a limited time, it's accessible for the those who have a free pass. Um, and it's available to our Evergreen and also to our um, All Access Pass members. So we have an amazing panel uh, that we'll be talking today. Uh, we're going to be focused on breaking the glass ceiling. And I wanted to make sure that you guys all know that we wanted to make sure that this conversation is focused on making it very conversational and also making it really casual. I think we all have a unique perspective to share when it comes to sharing those type of strategies to break those grass, the glass ceilings. So I want to welcome in our guests first. I'm going to have them join me. We have Karima Lahani. She is the founder and CEO of Barakat Bundle, a social enterprise that creates life-saving bundles for mothers and newborns in South Asia, supported by Harvard Business School, LinkedIn for Good, Johnson & Johnson, among others. She's also a board member for Ecologic, a nonprofit inspiring environmental action through providing practical ways to address uh, climate change. Also, Tara Doyle, the Chief Commercial Officer at PV Evolution Labs. She built the foundation of PVL's commercial operations when she joined in 2012 and is, and is one of PVL's longstanding employees. She began her career at SunPower, where she managed corporate operations and client, client engagement programs. And finally, Suparna Kadam. Suparna was a business development director with Intersolar, fo focused on providing enterprise clients with comprehensive solar and storage solutions with a compelling long-term ROI. With over 15 years in the solar industry, she has worked throughout the solar value chain at solar module, electronics and mounting manufacturers and within commercial and residential sales and business development. Thank you ladies for joining me. My pleasure. Thank you for having us. Of course. Um, so again, wanted to make this a very uh, coffee chat style uh, format. I wanted to make sure that we all are comfortable and can share our own experiences. We all have different perspectives. Um, I think one of the big things that we definitely want to highlight are some of those stats that is very familiar to us all. Um, uh, we, we pulled a few, few of these stats and we also had a conversation about it earlier um, earlier this week and uh, prior to this uh, conversation uh, of the gender wage gap. Um, I'll just pull those stats up now. And uh, in the most recent study, it said that women um, earn uh, 82 cents for every dollar uh, for men for men of all races, um, in particular when it comes to um when it comes to the solar industry, I know that you had uh, a specific uh, a specific stat as well, right, Tara? Yeah, we found uh, seventy four cents to every dollar for specifically for the for the solar industry. Yeah, and it was funny because I also it's not funny actually, but it's it's interesting. Uh, LinkedIn also has a stat um, when it comes to um, just in general job promotions and looking for those positions um, that job that women apply, believe that they need to meet 100% uh, 
of the criteria, while men usually apply um, after meeting only 60%. So these are, are two key stats that are alarming. Um, it's it's the fact that the, it's facts right now. Um, and I just wanted to first open it up with with just a, a conversation of how you all just started your careers, because I know that you're, you're, you definitely highlight um, how we all should be approaching um, our, our career growth. Um, you have your own tips and tricks uh, of trying to navigate through, through these, uh, you know, gender gaps uh, that we see right now. Um, but let's go ahead and start with Karima and tell us about your experience and, and, and just share a few tips. Sure. Thank you so much. So my career has been kind of storied and through a bit of a non, like a circuitous path. Um, I started in finance uh, and then ended up moving into public health. Um, And while those fields are not necessarily um, exactly the same as the solar field, um, there are some parallels in terms of looking from one industry to another um, and understanding how to actually navigate um, in a, a world that's not female-dominated. Um, so one particular thing that was valuable to me was understanding that I was leverage. Um, once I started working for an organization, um, I started to, and also at the same time, founding my own organization, my own nonprofit, um, and having that employer-employee experience, um, I started to realize how hard it is to find people. Um, to find people who do good work, to find people who fit in an institutional culture, to find people who get along well with their peers, and actually to understand why we use the term human resources. And because I really was a resource as an employee, and I saw the value in the resources that I had and the people who worked with me in my nonprofit. And understanding that I had leverage just in my very existence as a person who worked at an organization was really powerful for me. Um, it made me feel that when I walked into a room to negotiate a salary or for an interview that I had a foot to stand on. And in some ways, it, it, tri- it evened out that power dynamic. I found that really helpful. Um, another thing that I found particularly helpful was actually from a TV show. I remember my very first salary negotiation I walked into not realizing it was going to be that. I walked in um, for a meeting and it turned out to be a job offer. And the first thing I said was, you know, I watched this TV show called The Good Wife last night and they said that women never get raises because they never ask. So I'm just going to throw it out there. And I did. Um, and the person I was speaking to wasn't the decision maker, um, but she said, you know what? That's that's true. And she said, I'll go, I'll go ask and, and let you know. They got back to me a little while later and they did give me a substantial increase from what I was asking for. That was an hourly job. This was while I was still a student. That really made me realize the power of the ask. I've had many no's since then, but it made me realize how easy it is to ask and how quickly that can translate into a finance, tangible financial gain. Um, and so that was a great, a great experience for me to just really push me forward. Um, the other final thing I'll say before letting, letting anyone else share was uh, the value of transferable skills between fields. Um, as I was switching from finance to public health, and as some of you may be switching into the industry, um, I found that there actually were significant parallels, but oftentimes employers don't see that value. So I needed to do the 
job of being that interpreter. I literally needed to translate the value I created in the finance industry to the new industry I was going into and literally take skill for skill. This is what I did there and this is how it's relevant here. And I think that was a helpful way to be able to demonstrate my value without a lot of experience in that field. Yeah, that's great. And you actually got a comment on LinkedIn that says, the power of the ask. Nice job. <laughs> and I, I think, think that from Juliana Margulies. I think uh, she, <laughs> she said that. She's tuning in today. She knows you. Uh, she, she inspired you. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, and including the whole pop culture reference, I think that, that definitely lightens the mood when it comes to your conversation. Uh, Suparna, let's go ahead and, and see share um, some of your insights. Sure. It was um, interesting to hear Kareem's story. I think my path has also been, um, you know, along the way, I think what I've always been looking for is a unique position. So, so often in my career, I've actually created positions that weren't there. Um, and, and most of my roles were not there before or were created or my, obviously when you're working, when you have your own business, then you create your own culture and environment. And so, um, what I would suggest to anybody starting out is kind of learn your strengths and weaknesses. And so a lot of times you might be in a place that's not quite leveraging what you're good at or, or what you can fully offer. And so you may need to try to shift your role a little bit or, or adjust or, or find something slightly different, even within the same organization. And, and, um, and then you can really demonstrate your value um, on top of, being a good fit for the culture and environment and having the, the skills. So um, I found that that has, has definitely been something I never thought of when I first started out in my career. I was very, I had just assumed, uh, okay, that's a job description. That's what you do. Right. And, and that's not the case. You have a lot more leeway than you think to kind of shape your path and create your path. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's a good point. It's not you don't limit yourself within the the confines of that description. I think that's a huge, uh, a good tip to take back. Uh, Tara. Yeah, so I'm a little bit of a, I think, mix of, of experience between Karima and Tuparna. Um, I've sort of grown up in the solar industry. That was my first job out of college. Um, I uh, told this at length. Um, Nico interviewed me on Suncast uh, in March last year. So if you want to hear the, the big detailed story, you have the patience for it, um, you can tune in there. But um, I basically, I graduated from college. I wanted to be a lawyer, but had a little bit of a quarter life crisis, if you believe in that, uh, that concept. Um, and just decided I couldn't do another three, four years of schooling at that moment. So I signed up. I had a, a, a classmate who was in a leadership position at a temp agency and signed up with the temp agency and ended up getting a job at a what I thought was a lamp store called Powerlight um, in Berkeley and walked in and, you know, having done no research um, whatsoever on the company, um, walked in and certainly wasn't a lamp store, but I uh, got hired as the receptionist there and just started to prove myself valuable. Um, I think that would be, so I'll, I'll give the tips along the way as I talk a, just a little snippet about my, how I grew up in the, in this industry, but prove yourself valuable. There's always places and niches that you can find inside these companies. Um, 
sort of to what Suparna was saying, where you can create value, you can even create opportunities for yourself by by noticing, being very perceptive of any gaps where the uh, company has, you know, a need or, you know, cre- even create the need for them. And you have a unique skill set that can, that can fill that need. In my case, it was a little bit of that and a lot of bit of um, faith of the, of the management team of PowerLight. Um, had really, really good experiences, really inspirational um, mentors there and Tom Dinwoody and Dan Sugar and Howard Wenger. Um, and they saw my value and promoted me and promoted me. Um, and then SunPower acquired PowerLight in 2007 and continued to work for them and continued to demonstrate value. And... Um, really found that I really, I really loved community organizing. And so um, creating events, creating space and uh, collaborative opportunities. So really um, developed the employee morale program at SunPower, which was, you know, a, a series of events of engagement opportunities, employees, their families, um, outside um, analysts, things like that. Um, really, really enjoyed that that work there. I did try to get out of the solar industry for a hot minute. Um, I have a master's degree in something completely different, but uh, the lure of solar was so strong, I had to come back. And so now uh, I've been at PV Evolution Labs or PVAL since 2012. And again, kind of grew up, continued growing up within this company, Um, started out as the office manager and just started and really found myself, I'm a pretty outgoing person, found myself really gravitating towards sales roles and and working with external customers. And so I held a bunch of those roles. DNVGL acquired uh, PVL in 2014. So again, continued to sort of build my career. And I would say a lot of my career growth since the early days has been self um self-generated. So asking for those promotions, realizing that, hey, I'm actually not even doing the job that my title describes anymore. I'm doing something completely different. And I might as well just ask for that next title and ask for that next raise, which is really hard to do. I'll, I give I give every person and every woman credit for, um, you know, growing in your career and asking for that next level up because, you know, it's it takes a lot of guts and it takes a lot of um, recognition of self-worth, which is is often very hard for women in, in industry and in tech. Um, so, you know, it wasn't easy for me, not by a long shot, but really tried to put myself out there and kind of grew and grew. And now, you know, as an executive and co-founder and um, part owner of, of PV Evolution Labs, we divested from DNVGL last year in January and, uh, you know, have just been growing and growing. And I don't know what's next. Um, I love what I do. I love it so much. And I think that's also part of um, what makes a person successful or what can make a person successful is by really loving what you do and believing in what you do. I believe in solar. I love this industry. Um, I really love and believe in testing, um, solar product testing, which is what um, PV Evolution Labs does. So it makes it easy to find new and interesting ways to engage in the industry and engage in, in the company. I think all, all three of you touched on this asking. I, it, it's, it's huge. And, and I actually pulled a question from that. Um, I know personally, from personal experience, um, asking is very difficult. Um, it, there's a lot of work that you think you have to go going into it. Um, I personally felt like I had to uh, like really like uh, 
research the the salaries that are surrounding that position, um, see what the the value, like you guys mentioned, uh, the value of all the the responsibilities I had in addition, that's on top of the the job description. Um, so just just for the audience, um, some of the the tips or, or some of the things that you went through um, just to prepare yourself for that that ask. No. Um, so I think that's a really good point. So first of all, I mean, I think the ask is important, but I also want everyone who's ever asked and received a no to know that that is the most common answer. Um, and that's for men and women. So there's a lot of really recent, recent research showing that men and women, particularly at, um, younger stages in the workforce, um, so I think Tara has a different stat out of college, which I'd love for you to share in a second. But um, once they're in the workforce at younger ages, apparently men and women do ask quite compared comparably. Um, and throughout the the life the work the life cycle of um, of work, they do ask quite comparably. But men are more likely to get a yes. So twenty percent of men who ask will get a yes, and fifteen percent of women who ask will get. A yes. So that's important for two reasons. One, to know what, how often you can expect to get a yes and how persistent you need to be. And two, that differential between the two. Um, Tara, do you want to share that statistic you had? Yeah. So um, there was a study that found that um, right out of university, only 7% of female students will ask um, ask for, what is this? Oh, sorry, negotiate an initial job offer versus 57% of men will negotiate. And I think that, you know, that reminds me a little bit of, of the stat we heard at the start of this about, you know, men will apply for jobs when, you know, they have 60% of the skills figuring they can woof through it or gain on the job training or whatnot. And women are, um, are perhaps harder on ourselves or conditioned to, to expect that we um, will fit 100% of the of the job description, so you know that's um, a somewhat unfortunate reality. But you know, I do have I do have a lot of hope, and I think it. I think um, doing more more of this kind of stuff, and and you know, getting advice from women who are succeeding and who, through varied history in our careers. Um, have broken through that glass ceiling of sorts. I mean, there are always new ones that present themselves in all kinds of different capacities, but in terms of um, achieving what we feel as success, there's also that aspect, right? Defining success. What does that mean for you? Where, what is your glass ceiling? It can be so many different things, but you know, I would define myself as having had a successful breakthrough in my career. Um, but I actually wanted to ask you, Glenda, a little bit too. Um, we jumped onto the next question, but I wanted to hear, I want that, I know a little bit about your story. <laughs> it's super cool and interesting. But yeah, wondering if you can share a little bit about your your background. And, you know, I'm sure you have experiences asking in, in your various uh, male-dominated industries and, and what happens when you ask in, in well, I'll let you tell. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I've definitely taken a, a very uh, unique path. Um, for those who do, who do do know, they recognize it. But um, I was in sports marketing and also uh, tier marketing for the for ten plus years, and I moved into the solar and clean energy space uh, almost four years ago. I'm working with Solar Power International and Solar Power Events. Um, so moving from two male dominated industries, I, I think one of the things that I did learn, um, especially 
especially when I went into that interview for Solo Fire International, was that I can make that comparison. And I think that was the biggest thing. I, I said that I had knowledge and I had experience targeting specific audience. Um, I worked with the Washington football team and their audience is primarily um, male, white. And that's exactly what we were dealing with also with, with the, the clean energy space. Um, and so I was able to make that experience, uh, that, that, you know, that, that, that comparison pretty evenly. And I, I think that that was one of the things that I definitely took advantage of when it may, meant to at least make that comparison and make them know that I was familiar with having that conversation. Um, it, it is unique. I mean, I think that we, t we chatted about this, Tara, uh, when it came to at least also in-person experiences, um, um, being around mostly men in the industry and in sports, it was one case, and and now also in, in this space as well. Um, I think one thing that I will say was different, at least when working internally at, at the office that I was at, was that there was a good amount of female representation. But it's when you went to the conferences that you recognized the 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 divide, the the fact that there was um, that there was a huge difference in how many men and how many women came to these different conferences um, that I was going to. Um, so it was interesting. It was obviously interesting, but I also took it as an opportunity for me to take advantage of having those conversations. So I, I immediately wanted to be involved with uh, uh, launching and developing the Women in Solar and Storage Luncheon because I knew that was a platform that I was passionate about um, and wanted to make it unique and, and take my experience into it. Um, so I think that, I mean, you guys talked about it, the value. Um, I, knew, I knew that I had those experiences um, in my previous I want to say lifetime of working in, in sports because it's a very different life now, but I, I wanted to make sure that I, I leveraged those skills that I gained and, and find that affinity, uh, different affinity groups and make sure that, uh, that the conferences that we were promoting uh, represented the, the diversity that we, we wanted to have in the industry and that reflects the world. Um, so I was that person to make sure that we changed pictures out on the website <laughs> because I said, uh, well, this doesn't, <laughs> this does not reflect uh, how the industry should look like or, or does look like, honestly, or how we're trying to make it. So very, very, uh, very, uh, very calm, uh, like familiar space when I came into uh, the solar and, and clean energy space. <laughs> so thanks for asking. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times I've been around, you know, the only woman at the table. And especially, I mean, I'm, I'm sure Superna has some experience with this too, being in sales and business development. And, and Superna also has a has an um, engineering degree and a history in product development, which, you know, is such a male-dominated space. Um, I think maybe also one of the reasons why I'm so good at asking is because I've been in sales and I'm so used to know um, yeah. that, you know, if you're really aggressive and you're really a good salesperson, you know, you, in this context, um, you know, I learned a long time ago from a mentor, no is a request for more information. So you, know, you don't take no for the final answer. You, you know, what other thing can I help sell? Can I sell you or can I help solve your problem or, you know, fine, if not this salary, how about this one and come to an agreement? That's kind of this, the negotiation, the art of negotiation. But yeah, Suparna, um, sitting at a table full of men and, you know, having to sort of hold your ground. Um, what's, what's that been like? 
It's so funny, Tara, how you talk about the negotiation. So I, I did start um, my career as an engineer. So I think I came from a very opposite mindset where you're kind of trained to think that your work speaks for itself. And so I, you know, never thought to ask for things <laughs> and just assumed it was um, came across in the work, which is not always the case, right? You know, you learn over time that you have to sell yourself internally and and really speak up about your value. Um, so when I first started in the industry, I was at a module manufacturer um, and then I went to, uh, had my startup company and then went to Sun Edison. And I think I didn't, hadn't really noticed it at the module manufacturer. It was, it was small. There were a lot of, it was pretty diverse actually um, on the factory floor there. Although engineering was, and engineering was small enough. So I hadn't noticed it there. When I, I really noticed it would be when you get to more executive level stuff. So I used to go to like the SIA meetings or policy sessions and it was all men <laughs> and me. And at that time, you in my career. So, um, you know, not when you're quite a certain of yourself or having felt like you've proven yourself. And along the, along the way, I feel like that is common, Tara, you know. So often you're the only woman, and especially on the technology side, it's uh, the numbers are even worse than on sales and marketing. Or, um, mm-hmm. And I, I specifically remember when Sun Edison acquired my startup and we became part of that company. We were part of the R&D team and I was one out of a hundred women on that R&D team, which really shocked me that 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 was the numbers. Um, So, you know, you would see that it was better on finance or or marketing or sales, but not on the engineering side. It got better over time, but lots of room for improvement. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's a pro and a con. Um, You know, if you if you recognize your value and what you have to offer, I think in a way, you stand out, good or bad. And so you can kind of use that to demonstrate your value as well. Um, and I, I was lucky to be around a lot of great supportive people. So it was, I don't think I had the experiences that Glenda probably did. <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, I was literally, my office was literally right above the uh, locker rooms. So you'd always have to walk past them, <laughs> the, the players, that is. Um, yeah, so it was a very interesting experience. Um, very different now, though. So, yeah. Yeah. Karima, did you uh, ever have an experience where just in, in, in your industry and, and also, I know, in Ecologic and, and also with the, the company you own where you're just really in the middle of the just uh, male-dominated space. All right, so you've got Salesforce for your sales team. How's that working out for you? How great would it be if someone could actually just come in and really make your whole solar sales process deliver results? And what's more, what if you could actually see all the sales data in one dashboard? pipeline forecast aging deals that are about to close the whole darn thing look i have someone who can help do all that they're called indium and right now for a limited time you can get a salesforce tune-up a process assessment from them entirely on the house just click on the indium logo over at mysuncast.com and start getting more value from salesforce finally you know it's the time of year 
where folks start moving around from business to business, job to job, career transition is at its peak. And it's often a time where folks look to someone else to help organize their thoughts and guide their principles. I've spent the last 15 years in renewables. I've spent the last five years coaching founders and startup executives in this space specifically. And for the last year, I've been helping folks transition out of oil and gas and other industries into renewables. And I've found that there are a few things that are commonalities. I'd like to invite you, if that sounds like something you're interested in, to have a conversation with me about whether or not coaching might be in your future and working with me might be something that would help level up your business or your personal career path. You can fill out an application over at mysuncast.com. Just click on the work with me button in the very top right. And everyone who fills out an application, I'm going to set up a 15 minute clarity call. So I'd invite you to run, fill that out. If this sounds remotely interesting to you and let's have a chat, see if there is in fact a fit. I look forward to chatting soon. Thank you so much for tuning into Suncast. Let me know if I can help you in other ways. I think my entire career has been um, in very male-dominated spaces. Um, and maybe it's a good time to actually talk about some strategies that we've used to navigate those spaces, and particularly around asking for salaries. Um, so a couple things that have helped me along the way um, I kind of break it up into like the when, the what, and the how. So like the when is, when do you ask? Um, and for me, I, I've always found it really helpful to have a sense of the financial health of the organization um, and also of use some emotional intelligence to assess the person who will be making this decision for you. Um, because that person will either make the decision, who you want to have the conversation with, that person will either make the decision of whether you get the raise or they're going to be the person going to bat for you with the higher ups. So knowing just, are they in a good space in their life? Is the organization in a healthy financial space? Knowing those two things and trying to align your ask with that, I think is helpful. Viewing the ask as a longer, it's not one point in time where you sit there and say, hey, give me more money. It's actually, it starts at this point, right? Where you start to scout what is the, what is the situation? Um, and around that when, I think there's two kinds. One is planned where you have an upcoming performance review or you request a performance review or a conversation around salary where you can really prepare. Um, another is opportune. So one for me that, one example for me that was an unexpected a salary raise was when they asked me to circulate a job posting and it was for the same job I was in. They just wanted someone new. And I looked at it and I was like, the salary range you have here, like I'm in the mid high, but I am not at the highest. And why are you even offering a higher salary to someone from outside when I have, like, I've been here, I'm doing the job. So I responded right away, like within five minutes, I didn't even think, I just said, you know, absolutely happy to circulate. But given my seniority, I think I deserve to be at the top of this range. And I think if maybe if I thought about it more, I wouldn't have had the guts to do it. But it ended up meaning that they bumped me. So that was but every other one in my experience, and definitely I'm open to hearing from everyone else has been more of a planned situation. Um, For me, I haven't had set performance reviews. So it's been about requesting them and using them as an opportunity to ask, but also to ask for a higher salary, but also to ask, what can I do better? Um, so that takes me to the second part, which is what to ask for. So money is always a piece of that conversation, but money is not the only thing associated with your full compensation package. That's your salary, but it's not your only negotiating tool. Um, 
you can ask for, there's a whole world of benefits. There's benefits first and then employer contributions to benefits. There's time off. There's alleviation of other responsibilities that might be taking away from you being able to do your full job. Um, there's contribution to professional development. There's, you know, if your company, if you ask for them to pay for you to do a course, not only does that mean you're bringing new skills back to the company, it means you don't have to pay for that and you have one more way to demonstrate value the next time you want to negotiate. So it's thinking kind of multidimensionally around what you're asking for and having a couple, you know, have your, this is what I want. So I'm going to ask for a little bit higher, have that, but also have these other pieces that you can negotiate with. I think those are really powerful. And sometimes when companies don't have the ability to be as flexible on salary, they can be more flexible in other ways. So when you demonstrate your value effectively, you can maybe move the pieces in some of those areas. Um, and then the final piece I'll say is the how. So how do you actually ask what we just say this word? Um, so in my experience, and it, it's based on what you're comfortable with. In my experience at the beginning, I would use humor, like I said. Now I think I'm more of a straight shooter. Um, I generally prefer to do that conversation in person or on a phone call in this day and age, but I prime it with an email. Um, so I've always emailed a superior saying, I want to have a discussion about my compensation. Can we set up a time? So I prime them. I don't want to surprise them. I want them to know what it's going to be about. Um, and then in that actual conversation, I'm very specific about what I'm looking for. So I, hello, how are you? But I called the meeting. So I'm the chair and I'm leading the meeting. Um, and that might be a role reversal from how you normally interact with your superior. Um, and I would lay out my case. This is how I've added value. If you can quantify it based on your industry, that's great. I've brought in this many clients. I've raised this much money, et cetera, et cetera. And if you can quantify what you're asking as a percentage of money you've brought in, even better. That hasn't been the case in my industries. Um, but being able to specifically say, this is the value I've demonstrated. And this is this percentage increase, I think, would be an appropriate representation of the value that I'm bringing. And then the most important part after that is just stop. Just pause and listen. It's uncomfortable. It's really hard once you put a number out there. Um, but I think that's really, really important because the point here is not you're not listening for a yes or a no. You're listening for a why and you're reading their behavior. Are they comfortable with this? Could you have gotten more? Are they uncomfortable with it? Do they seem to be on your side, but they're thinking, how can I make this happen? Are they worried you're going to leave? What are they thinking? Um, and so listen, don't listen for a no, listen for a why. Even if they say no, no, we can't because we don't have enough money in this, this, and way. No, you know, you've just gotten here. You don't have enough experience. Use those, everything that comes after the no and be prepared to rebut them. So what I mean by that is come prepared with your research case. Suparna mentioned, like do the research around other, the same job at other organizations, or if you know what other people are being paid in your organization. Well, this is what I'm being paid here, but this is what I can get there or what someone else is getting there. And I think I offer the same job, the same value. <clears throat> Um, identify opportunities for efficiency. If money's tight, well, if in this role, these are additional ways I can continue to do this job. And these are th ways that I think I can actually increase efficiency and ultimately be uh, a financial benefit for the company. And um, framing what you can do, not just on what you have done, but on what you will do. So using keywords like continue, I will continue to do this. I'd like to do this better. With these resources, I can do more of that. I think that frames it from an employer's perspective as you're making an investment and you will see a return rather than, hey, I did that before. Can you pay me now? Um, and that change in the frame of reference, I think, can make it a lot easier to get to a yes. Um, and the final thing is if you do get a no after all of that, 
I recommend asking for an interim performance appraisal or, you know, I appreciate that. I understand. I'd like to continue this conversation in six months. Can we set a date? And the reason for that is so that one, you don't have to wait a whole year um, if that's the cycle your company works on to ask again. But two, between now and that six month period, you communicate your value. Everything you do, you communicate to your your boss and your boss will know that everything you're doing, you're counting down until that time. And I guarantee they will come at that time with something to sweeten the pot for you. And it will keep that conversation going. So those are some of the strategies that I've used. And I'd love to hear from from all three of you as to if any of those have worked for you, if there's other um, tactics you've taken. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a great point. I mean, I think that understanding the entire compensation compensation package that you get from your employer is huge. I mean, I think one thing that I definitely did when I was going to uh, a position was when they couldn't budge with the uh, actual salary. And I, despite asking several times, um, I did uh, bring in the like travel, like transportation compensation, uh, either including, uh, you know, a metro uh, card or metro um, uh, money towards metro transportation or or something like that, or also uh, days off as well. So I think that's a a great point. Yeah. And I can speak from this. I mean, I have plenty of things to say from the employee perspective, but specifically from the employer perspective. Now I have a team of 10 and I love when people ask, um, you know, I love when they recognize their value, they ask for more money and, you know, we don't always have, I don't always have budget to, to pay more money, but I think, you know, you make a really good point, both Krima and Glenda in, you know, what else can I do for employees? What, what is in my power? What needs to go to the board? That kind of thing. Um, and I think there's a lot of, there's a tremendous amount of value both for the employer and the employee and working with them to figure out, okay, if I can't pay you more, what else would make you feel, you know, appreciated and valued and taken care of here, whether that's, you know, more time working from home. Now we're all working from home, but, you know, previously, if it's more time working from home, if it's some comp days when there are particularly late nights working on projects, if, you know, they want to, you know, work out of country for three weeks of the year, like what, what other things can the employee propose or can I think of and collaborate with the employee to figure out how, how they can be, uh, compensated um, if if budget doesn't allow the actual you know the comp increase um, the the salary increase yeah yeah I would I would agree with that kind of expanding the pie approach it's not really a fixed pie you know and even though budgets might be fixed there are a lot of soft things that might be valuable to you as an employee that may not cost your employer anything but would be meaningful. And so I would say, you know, work from home, flexible schedule, all of those things, which now is a full-time reality, but before um, those, those things definitely had value and, and were not always readily available. So. Yeah. Um, Go ahead, Tara. Well, I was just going to say for, you know, for um, staff who have children, you know, it's sometimes a huge, relief is to figure out some sort of schedule that works around this, the kid's schedule um, or, you know, being more flexible in maternity or returning to work after maternity. And those are all things that are, you know, within, I won't speak for all employers, but certainly within my power to, to negotiate and be flexible with the employee. And I, I find that, you know, from my own perspective, being an employee and now as an employer, you know, that, that kind of flexibility and that kind of, um, 
you know, compromise goes a really long way in an employee feeling like, you know, their employer takes care of them, that they're appreciated, that they're, that they are valuable. Um, you know, certainly on, on the other side of it, when I was, um, reporting to folks, um, there wasn't always budget for a salary increase, but, you know, having, again, that courage to ask for, well, you know, how about a work from home day or how about, you know, can I trade, can I work a Saturday this week instead of a Wednesday so I can go to something. So, you know, just all kinds of creative, creative ways that um, a compensation package can be adjusted if, if not just for money. Yeah. Cause a lot of those, those items are all in different budget, budget lines. Salaries are obviously uh, for, for the most part from my understanding and experience in, in different organizations, salaries are a completely different budget line from like you mentioned, Karima, the professional development uh, bucket um, and other places where they could pull money from. So it's definitely something we should include in those conversations. I wanted to uh, jump into um, we have a comment from one of our viewers had a question. She said, I'd love to hear someone speak about skipping a level for the ask if you don't connect well with your manager or you feel your manager is ignoring your value offers. Now I want to jump into that. <laughs> I have something, but I would open up to Kareem and Suparna if you have a comment. I can I, offer. Sorry, go ahead, Suparna. Go ahead, Kareem. I don't have a, I mean, I don't know that I have a good um, ex relevant experience with that, to be fair. Okay, I can have a, add a brief comment and then pass it to Tara. Um, so I haven't personally experienced this, but in general, the two things that would come to mind for me are one, if there's more than just your manager, if, it's, if there are other people at your manager's level who you could have a conversation with, but in a group setting. I don't think it's wise to skip over your manager or talk to someone else, but to ask if you can have that conversation with your manager and someone else. Um, I think often if that's an individual interpersonal issue, um, then you can kind of dilute that by having other people in the room. Um, and particularly if there are people your manager reports to, if that makes sense. Um, but you really have to read kind of the, the relationships that exist in your organization, if that's logical or not. I wouldn't go into that if that's not someone you've ever spoke to, if that's not the norm. Um, another thing I would work on is actually uh, speaking with my coworkers. Um, I think it really varies in organizations. In some organizations, a rising tide raises all boats. So if I'm pushing for a raise and my coworkers pushing for a raise and someone else is pushing for a raise, it tells them, hey, we actually all, we need to rethink salaries and there's, there's an issue here. In other cases, it's a fixed budget and maybe I want to keep it secret from that person so I don't rise ahead. But I'm kind of of the perspective that let's just all get better together. Um, and I don't necessarily want to move forward without someone else. So if you're kind of leading that collective group of, hey, we all, are looking to to rise higher, um, then that also dilutes the interpersonal relationship you may have with your manager. So those are two tips from me. Tara, do you have anything to add? I was going to say something completely different. Um, while probably today I would completely agree with you um, and keep your manager involved, sometimes you know, sometimes it's just, it's difficult and maybe there's just not a good interpersonal relationship with the, the manager above. And I think you know, uh, I, I would give the advice that don't let that stop you from asking for what you feel like you deserve. And if, 
there is an interpersonal conflict, I think, you know, there can be ways to, to deal with that internally, but I wouldn't stop at that person if that person says no. Um, and especially over and over when you're clearly proving your value and like, you know, Karima very, very nicely laid out. I hope, I hope uh, people were taking notes because that was a mic drop moment. Your, your previous uh, set of comments on tips of how to, how to negotiate the salary. Um, but um, I would say, you know, if, if you're not getting anywhere and you're doing all the things right and you are adding a lot of value to the organization, I wouldn't stop at your direct manager. Um, and my personal experience um, at a previous company, um, I, I felt like a particular employee, a, a colleague of mine, um, wasn't getting paid what he deserved. And, you know, and he also wasn't very good at um asking and knowing how to ask. Um, he wasn't, uh, he just, he didn't have the, he didn't feel like he had the courage to ask. So I went about on his behalf to the line manager and the line manager, you know, didn't, didn't do anything. So, you know, I happened to have a good relationship with the manager actually two above. Um, and I proposed it to her and I said, look, you know, this employee, he is directly contributing to the bottom line at this company. He is personally, you know, pushing through X dollars of revenue every month with his his hands-on contribution at the company. And, you know, he he really deserves it. And she had the power to just like that. And then she sent an email to the HR manager and raised the salary to the to the salary I had proposed for him. And so, you know, I that that felt really good to advocate on behalf of a colleague, like you were saying also, Karima, that, you know, sometimes you got to talk to your colleagues and, um, and don't stop if you, if, if you really do feel like you're adding value to the organization, your line manager above is, is not listening or is not, um, is not willing to, to negotiate. Um, don't stop there. I wanted to add one thing to that. Um, so to Tara's first point about going beyond your manager, if you're not seeing success, um, I agree with that also. Um, one thing when I had those in-person conversations and I didn't feel like I was being heard, um, a good step after that is to send an email to summarize everything that we discussed, uh, i.e. create a paper trail so that you're essentially documenting that we had this conversation. I laid this, this, this out. My understanding is that there's not an opportunity for a raise this time X, Y, Z. The next time you have that same conversation, do it again and essentially build that up so that when you do go above your manager's head, if that's the tr the path that you choose to take, you have some evidence to explain why you did that. And I think that that would give you a really solid foundation um, for doing taking such an action. Yeah, agreed. Paper trail is a blessing and a curse. But in this case, it's definitely uh, to, to be able to show a history of contribution, improving your, your value um, and requesting those increases, um, definitely valuable. Yeah, I was going to say the exact same thing, Tara. Um, just definitely second that. I think that paper trail is is huge. Uh, a lot of times, and even in personal experience, that you you ask and they give you, oh well, in six months we'll probably have the ability to push the, push the salary a little bit. And and I've had that experience. Well, all I had was that verbal uh, agreement, and nothing came from it. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, I I completely agree. So we had uh, another question actually come through. I know we touched on it a little bit. Um, have you talked about how to negotiate a higher salary when you're first offered that position? I know we talked about 
looking at the overall compensation package. But did you guys uh, have any other additional strategies to, to really work on, on that first position? Um, I can chime in here. So I think I've, I've started kind of knowing where I want to be and opening with that, actually. So setting the baseline expectations um, in early conversations. And just saying, this is this is where I want to be. I don't want to waste your time. I don't want to waste my time. If that's not going to match up, then thanks for your time, and you know, keep keep other conversations going. And so I found that it's actually appreciated. Nobody likes to. A lot of people don't like to talk about the compensation side, right? People leave that for the end. They don't want to touch on it, but. Um, but it's such an important part of the conversation and, and really um, you don't want to be on the wrong path. If you know, I, I don't know that I would have done that early in my career when I was first trying to get into solar, I did a lot of stuff for, you know, for free for low cost. So, you know, to, to break in and I, I would probably do that again. So, uh, you know, I'm in a different place after, after some experience that put me in a different place where I knew what my value was. And um, in terms of negotiating a higher salary, I think it's important to, to know what your value is, what your market value is. Look at the comparables, look at other companies, look at what the other um, job offers are, are giving. If you're talking to multiple employers, you know, know what's on the table for each of them and, and make sure they're aligned with where you want to be uh, up front. Um, and then I think it's, um, you know, sometimes just knowing that gives you the strength to kind of stand for what you want and, and stay strong in what you want. And I think that's probably the uncomfortable part of it, but uh, a really important part. And so I've, I've just uh, transitioned to being very upfront about it, to be honest. And I, I found that to be very effective because my, I know my value and I think I, I can demonstrate that and, and people can see that. that that's the benefit of the time and the experience now so it's harder to have that at the early part of your career but you still have value as Karima said you know in terms of uh, work ethic and other skills that you bring to the table maybe not industry specific knowledge but um, in terms of whether you're a fit and so I'll try to align things early and then and if not be talking to multiple places ideally because then you you have some extra leverage that way yeah I would say to just come prepared just what um, Soprano was saying or part of that is you know if your hiring manager likely has a range um, and you know if you're proposing a salary or they'll propose a salary that's maybe at the lower end of the range, um, you know, maybe this is a little bit different in sales, but, you know, I think most hiring managers expect some kind of negotiation. You know, if, if you just take whatever is offered to you, um, maybe that sends, that says a lot about, about you, who you are and, you know, uh, and your, willingness to just sort of take what's given to you versus, you know, if you counter and you have good points, you know, if you're coming right out of school and you have some good points about your education, 
Um, if you're just coming out of a different industry where you have transferable skills um, and you can show that, you know, you have the skill set or you have the value of more of that mid range, um, according to your own research, which you would bring, you know, those points to the table, to the negotiating table. Um, you know, I think I think most employers do expect some kind of negotiation. So if, as long as you have you're prepared and you have your your justification as to why you would want a higher salary than what they're initially offering, um, you know, a lot of times you'll you'll at least get heard. Maybe you won't get that salary, but at least, you know, uh, you'll maybe feel better that you at least put yourself out there and, and ask for something a little bit higher. And, you know, sometimes maybe you'll get it. Um, if you, if you prove your case and the hiring manager has that, has that range and they have leeway to go a little bit higher, you know, sometimes you will get that. The average salary increase um, in a current job is about one to 5%. Um, but the salary, the average salary increase when you switch jobs is about 10 to 20%. So I think when you're offered a position, whether it's your first job or later in your career, that is your most powerful opportunity to negotiate a salary. Um, and given that every salary increase after that is going to be a percentage of that original salary, um, there are compound impacts on what you negotiate on that for that first um, for that first salary. So I would say go hard. I echo everything. Um, that Suparna and Tara said. Um, and if you still get a no, then I would take the, the same advice I mentioned earlier, which is say that you want to check back in in six months. Because if you have to wait one year every time, then the compound impact uh, is longer. But if you can shorten that time period, then again, you allow yourself to compound faster. So it's really just math at the end of the day. And I would say that is the time to really put your foot down um, and, and try to negotiate hardball as much as you can. It's yeah. something I wish I did going in the, my first job. Go hard. <laughs> that first job. Yeah, I do too. It would have, you know, if you set your, if you think about, you know, your first, your first job, whether it's out of high school or college, you know, you're setting yourself up on a track, you're building your resume and you're building your salary range. So, you know, if you go in and you just accept whatever the first, the first thing they give you, um, most employers you know, want to get the most value for the cheapest price, like sort of business one-on-one. Um, so they are going to offer you the lowest that they think they can get away with. Um, and it's really up to you to, to negotiate higher. And that sets your track in so many ways in your career, because you're going to be building from there. Oftentimes employers or new, new employers will say, well, what were you making at your previous company? And if you're making this range and you're asking for a big jump, you know, you're going to have to really justify that versus if you're, if you're jumping and you're making those incremental improvements or incremental increases, I should say, um, off of those first salaries, you know, you're going to set yourself up in a much better place to, you know, increase salary over, over your career. Well, and also that's, uh you know, if you do get a no after the ask, it's still an opportunity to try to leverage those other pieces. So never forget that there are other things that may be important to you as part of that job that, that are valuable to you that you can ask for and, um, and, and trade. It may not be, it may not be salary, but maybe it's a bonus. Maybe there's bonus structures. Maybe there's performance-based um, bonus, which is common in sales, but but not as common in, in other types of roles, right? 
there's, there's other stock options, yeah. Stock options, right? Yeah. 401k, the matching. Like there's other ways to increase even the financial benefit to yourself outside of just a straight salary. So it's important to kind of think through that and, and you can be creative. Um, and what they offer you is, as Tara said, is going to be what they think they can get you for. And we live in an environment where that will be lower if you are a woman, that will be lower if you are a woman of color, um, that will be lower if you if they know you come from lower socioeconomic background or you didn't go to an Ivy League school or whatever, whatever. So knowing all of that means that if they if means that you can guess what they will offer and what they've used to calculate that offer. And you can counter that um, even more strongly. So, so be aware of the intersection of gender and race and um, income and all of those things that go into these salaries that we often don't think about or like to pretend don't exist, but they do. And hopefully um, with some of the strategies we shared, we can all work together to, to achieve greater pay equity in our society. Yeah. Well, you know, from Glenda's stat that uh, women are making, you know, uh, 20% less. So next time you go into your interview, just tack that 20% on, you know, mm-hmm. what's the worst that can happen. Um, if you're really valuable and the company wants to hire you, they'll, you know, there could be a negotiation, but, you know, tack that 20% on, just be bold and be, be uh, aggressive with, with your, your value. Great tips. Go hard, be bold, <laughs> aggressive. Yes, it's definitely. Hard. It's hard. I it fully is. acknowledge that. Yeah, Especially I mean, if you're just starting out. Yeah, I, I was in that, that same space too. Um, I wanted to loop back around because I actually remembered a question I wanted to ask. Um, we talk about value. We talk about um, obviously, obviously um, everything else, but part of that value um, you all three of you have a pretty extensive educational background. Um, how do you think that has definitely helped in salary and, and everything? So you have your MBAs, PhDs between the three of you. Um, how has that helped? And, and do you think that it's ne- that it's necessary? And obviously, it might be different across different fields. But did anyone want to let's go with uh, Kareem? I know you have a, you have a PhD. Yeah. Um, sure. I think it helps when you're starting out for sure. I think when you're starting out and your resume is a little lighter, I think education weighs heavily. Um, I, and the things you've done, and I don't think that's necessarily the way it should be, but I think it's just the way it is. Um, but I think as you move on through your career, uh, the education becomes a lot less of a heavyweight on your resume and, the jobs you've held and actually the line items that you have on your resume that specify the actual value you added um, end up carrying a lot more weight. So education is important. But at the end of the day, different people have access to different educational opportunities. And if you haven't had access to the same opportunities that you might have liked to have, um, I think there are ways to overcome that. Um, And using education as a platform for networking, um, that's, that's, valuable, but there's other ways to get to networking. There's other ways to expand your, your network and build, um, references and people who know you and people who recognize your value. Uh, and I think education serves as a proxy for that, but it's not the only proxy. So I, um, I appreciate, and I'm very grateful for the education that I've had and it's helped me along the way, but I definitely think that there are ways to develop, to learn what you learn through formal education outside of the classroom. 
Yeah, I think I'm a little bit of a poster child for that. I wanted to go to law school. So an undergraduate, I got a degree in English and women's studies. Um, and, you know, not not exactly transferable to a very technical field. Um, so, you know, in some ways, in some companies like at DNVGL, for example, they're a humongous company. We um, worked for DNVGL for um, four years. They're a humongous company and there has to be very specific metrics for increasing salaries you have to hit certain milestones and and that makes a lot of sense for a big company where they need to be able they need to be equitable across you know thousands and thousands of employees across multiple countries and in some of those environments especially in tech the tech degrees and the tech advancement um, is valued higher than than non-tech even though we know we know that there are a lot of different paths for education and for getting into you know learning the skills. For me, it was a lot of on-the-job training. And just like you were saying, Karima, that the resume building was, you know, my my education at this point is, you know, almost uh, almost irrelevant. Um, I do have a master's degree. Um, but again, it's, it's irrelevant to, you know, what I'm doing now, except for those basic sort of continuing education skills and writing skills and speaking skills and, you know, those kinds of things that are just you have to have them for every job just about. Um, but yeah, I would say, you know, education, although I do believe in it, um, I also think you can you can get there with equivalent work experience, like you were saying, Karima. Do you want to add on to that, Suparna? No, I mean, I second what both Karima and Tara said. Um, I think there's so much you learn along the way, right? And and um, if you're doing a very technical job, definitely my my engineering degree has helped me in a lot of the roles that I've been, it's been very valuable from a training perspective. Um, but Tara's been able to learn a lot of that on the job, right? And then that's the reality of it. I think Cream is right. It's a it's looked at very strongly at the beginning of your career because there aren't many other uh, normalized metrics that people know, right? And then as you as you you have more experiences, then those are are carry a lot more weight. So. And there's a lot of different ways to get to the same place. Yeah. And I think it's important for any hiring manager out there to listen to this and to take take it to heart that, you know, when you're building a, a job description, there you could be leaving out so many qualified candidates um, by putting this minimum threshold of education that maybe not everybody has had access to. And, you know, it's, it's so important to not leave out, you know, a huge population that could be very experienced for, for the, for the role. Um, but they don't have that minimum bachelor's degree or associate's degree or something like that, whatever the, whatever that minimum threshold is. Um, so recognizing that work experience, um, is oftentimes, I mean, being an employer is oftentimes even more valuable than the book education. Um, if you've got somebody who's had a couple of years of work experience, whether that's, you know, working in a restaurant or as a mechanic or something like that, being in the workforce and, you know, um, starting to build that, build the skill set of required um, to work in a company um, is, is, is often more valuable than the, than the degree itself. Awesome. Uh, well, we're in, we we're slightly over, but uh, before we end this, I wanted to give you guys the opportunity, at least if you do have any takeaways you want to share with everyone before we close out. I would say your pay should reflect your value, but your value is not a reflection of your pay. So just remember that. 
Suparna? Um, I think just yeah, recognize what you're worth and uh, and and kind of keep track of that. It's hard to remember when you're in those moments, asking in those tough situations, but but uh, be your biggest advocate and and take that step. It gets easier the more you do it. So. Yeah, and Tara. <sighs> 75% of, of people who ask for a pay increase get it. So keep that in mind um, and just continue to ask for what you deserve. Um, negotiate. Um, you'll find a, oftentimes a willing participant in your, in your would-be employer um, or empl- current employer and to hiring managers, um, you know, value your employees, look at their whole skill set, look at their background, look at their previous jobs, look at the education, um, and, and really, uh, be willing to negotiate. If you have a, if you have somebody, either a current employee or somebody who's trying to get a job and they feel that they have more value than you're, than you're initially, you know, willing to compensate, hear them out and be open, have an open mind about, um, if it's not a financial, um, compensation. What other ways can you compensate this person who maybe you don't know yet, but they are saying that they have this value. They are proving it to you. Um, you know, take a leap of faith on the on the hiring manager, on the manager giving a giving a raise. Be open minded about that. All right, that's a wrap on today's conversation, Solar Warriors. But I do hope that you'll check out the other Two for Tuesday episodes and let me know what you think of these shorter format discussions. You want more like this? You can find more than 200 episodes, resources, highlights from the discussions, along with social media links to each guest episode, book recommendations, and so much more over on the blog at mysuncast.com. And that's also where you'll find other ways to engage with the Suncast tribe, like subscribing to our weekly emails or even joining the exclusive inner circle we affectionately refer to as the Guild. If you're on Spotify or iTunes, I so appreciate your rating and review so that others can also find Suncast more easily. A special thank you to our sponsors who help make this podcast possible. You can learn more about them at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. Follow the links there for any offers we've discussed here today. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.